Hi, this is Phil Klemmer, one of the writers of Chuck, and this is Chuck versus the podcast. Hi, my name is Graham Jones, but you can call me Gray. This is my show. It's about Chuck. It's filled with interviews, the latest news, crazy co-hosts, and spoilers that'll make your day. Oh, wait, wait, I need to go back. I host these TV nights. They used to be pretty boring, but everything changed when I found NBC's new show, Chuck. Pretty soon, my TV night got pretty crowded. Guys I didn't even know were showing up the door. Big important guys. Really scary, nasty, get killed for hosting them guys. Next thing I know, these super episodes are downloaded into my brain. Which means every moment of my life, I'm thinking about Chuck. ChuckTV.net sent their top people to protect me. That's Mel and Liz. They're pretty zany. They co-host with me now as a cover. So now I must welcome you to Chuck vs. the Podcast. The first and only podcast for NBC's Chuck. This is Gray. This is Mel. And Liz. And you're listening to Chuck vs. the Podcast, episode 14 for Friday, January 30th, 2009. How are you guys doing? Good. Cold in uh, snowy Kansas, but I know you guys are north of me, so I think I actually have it balmy down here. Yeah, it's actually pretty cold here, too, and I'm just done with winter completely. (sighs) Bring on spring. Even my kids are tired of it. Yeah, I was telling my daughter about a land where it never snows, speaking about California, because we're thinking of going to Disneyland, and she just couldn't believe that there was a place that it didn't ever (laughs) snow. This mystical, magical world that you can get to on an airplane. Where they shoot Chuck. As she hears me talking about Chuck, she's got all these images in her head of this magical land. Anyway, um, we've got some magical stuff happening in this episode. We have some exciting stuff going on with Chuck, and part of it is Mel. Chuck returns on uh, Monday, February 2nd. We finally get a new episode of Chuck. It's been a long, cold, dark six weeks without it. But the new episode coming up, Chuck versus the Third Dimension, is going to be awesome. It will be. To crib a word from the show itself. Yep. And we'll have more on that a little bit later, but our highlight of the episode today is that we have part one of our writer's series, a three-part series that we're going to be hosting over the next three weeks. And part one is the illustrious Phil Klemmer, who wrote for Veronica Mars and also for Chuck. And of course, Liz and I are huge Veronica Mars fans, so this is very cool for us. Very cool. I'm I'm a very new Veronica Mars fan. I heard that I was going to be interviewing Phil Klemmer, and I actually wanted to research for the interview, so I thought, I'll, I'll watch a couple episodes. I'm on season three. Yeah. <laughs> Tough life, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Doing that research. Yeah. But anyway, we're going to roll right into our news. What do we have, starting with Mel? Well, first up, we have pretty exciting. We finally have new photos for an episode, and it's, of course, for the 3D episode. Those are posted at checktv.net, and you'll probably be seeing some of them if you're watching the enhanced version of this podcast. There's just uh, just a few, and they don't give away too much, but they it was pretty exciting to get to post something new. Yeah, I can't wait for that episode. And, and just an update, there have been a lot of questions from Canadians. There will not be 3D in Canada for this upcoming episode. This includes if you have U.S. stations that are rebroadcast on digital cable or satellite, they will not be in 3D. The only way you can get this 3D is if you happen to have an ATSC antenna and receiver and live close enough to the U.S. border that you can pick up the terrestrial broadcasts. I have such a setup. If you live in Toronto, you can actually come to my Chuck Night if you'd like. It'll be Monday, February 2nd at 9.15 p.m., That gives me the time to cut out the commercials so we can watch it straight. 
and I'm a three-minute walk from Islington Subway at Islington and Bloor, which is also handy to the major freeways. If you live in Toronto, you'll know where that is. And I'll be showing Chuck in high-def, 3D, surround sound with no commercials. And thanks to Chuck TV Forum member Tom, I have 20 sets of 3D glasses. These are the official 3D glasses from Sobe. And I do want to clarify, if you're in the States, it looks like no other 3D glasses will work. If you're thinking that your 3D glasses you got from something else might work, that is most likely not the case. They are a totally different type of 3D glasses, so you got to make sure that you get the ones from the Pepsi stands at uh, Target, Walmart, other places that you may have seen them. Scramble if you need to, but you got to get the right 3D glasses. So even if you don't hear this till Monday, if you are in Toronto and you would like to come to my Chuck night, just send me an email at mail at chuckpodcast.com and I'd love to have you. Obviously, space is limited, so if you might want to come, please email right away. <laughs> There's going to be a migration in Canada to Stampede to Islington. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we also have exciting news for folks in the New York area. Josh Schwartz and Chris Fedak will be at New York Comic Con on Sunday, February 8th, which is the Sunday after the Super Bowl episode. And for more information about that, you can visit ChuckTV.net. I wish I was in New York. I know. I do, too. And we've got more exciting news. We've got a new logo, courtesy of listener Chad, who is a brilliant artist. And we've chosen one of many that he made for us to use on the podcast. We just wanted to give a shout out to Chad and give him a big hoot and a holler and a thank you. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Chad. These are awesome. Awesome logos. And you may just see them on a t-shirt or ball cap at some point this year. Right. Be on the lookout. We want to roll right into contest news. We want to remind you about the contest that we have going on. Just remember to take a photo in your 3D glasses and submit those to mail at chuckpodcast.com by February 9th. And if you could possibly make them 640 by 480 JPEGs, that would be awesome. Any submitted photos may appear in the podcast or on chucktv.net. So ensure that you have permission from anyone else in the photo that might be in there with you. Dressing up is encouraged. Please do so. Get your get out your wet shirts and your ties. And the way it's going to work is that each of the three of us will vote for our favorite photo, and the winner will be the one who gets the most votes. Winners will be notified by email as well as announced on the podcast. And you can get the full set of rules on chucktv.net. And the prize is going to be Tim Jones' custom answering machine soundtrack just for you. Yeah, Tim Jones has been a great supporter of the podcast. Of course, you remember... His interview from episode two, um, he's the composer for Chuck and does an amazing, amazing job. So you can have a custom answering machine message by the very composer of Chuck. That is such a cool prize. I mean, how many people get to offer that sort of thing? Yeah. That's, yeah, that is awesome. Very cool. Also, late breaking news, Variety is reporting that Chuck's second season will wrap in April instead of May, as was generally assumed to make way for the reality show, Who Do You Think You Are?, which follows celebrities as they track their genealogy. NBC has been positioning itself as a year-round network, showing original programming throughout the year, rather than just during the traditional season. The good news for us is that it looks like we can expect an uninterrupted run of new episodes of Chuck from February 2nd all the way till April 13th. So that is great news. I, I hate those uh, little breaks. Yeah. And as we mentioned last week, we were saving up some listener emails. So, Mel, you've got the first one. 
Well, the first one we have is from Paul from Klamath Falls, Oregon, and he writes, Hello, Chuck versus podcast crew. I absolutely love listening to your podcast and I'm ecstatic that us viewers can look forward to them more often. You have a lot of good stuff coming up and I know I speak for many when I say that you are all fabulous and pretty. What I wanted to write was that I was surprised that in your synopsis of episode 211, the whole part of Chuck giving Sarah the bracelet was not mentioned. For me, wanting to see Chuck and Sarah together, this was the absolute best part of the episode in an episode that had a lot of good stuff. I'm looking forward to seeing how Chuck and Sarah's relationship will continue to grow after Christmas 2008. Looking forward to your next podcast, Paul. And he's right. We did kind of skip right over that. We had a lot to talk about in recapping Chuck versus Santa Claus. And, but we, we did leave that part out, and it was, it was pretty important. It sparked a lot of discussion within the Chuck fandom and the ChuckTV.net forums. What did you guys think about that moment when, when Chuck gave her the bracelet? I thought it was actually a very significant moment, and it definitely gave a lot more weight to later on when Chuck witnessed her execution of the fulcrum agent at the end. And just to, in, in general, addressing that question, we had a really long interview with Mark Christopher Lawrence and had to shorten some of our other stuff in order to accommodate that. And we know you guys really prefer to hear them talking more than you prefer to hear us talking. So, you know, we try to balance it for you. Yeah. But <laughs> thanks for writing, Paul. And, and we definitely will try to include all of the most important details when we do our summaries. That's right. So we're going to roll on to Isaac from Marysville, Ohio. And he asks a very tough question. Is Chuck... <laughs> a Mac, PC, or Linux user on the show, and Offset is Zachary Levi, a Mac, PC, or Linux user? And that is a great question. We've seen him use Mac computers in his house. The one in the very pilot episode that is broken by the Ninja was a Mac computer, and we do see Mac screens when he's looking at his computer at home. But I don't know. I can't remember. Can, can you guys comment on that? Well, I believe the Buy More is exclusively PCs because, of course, they wouldn't be selling Macs because it's not an Apple store. So, But he's also, if he's a true nerd herder, he's got to use uh, Linux at some point. So I think the answer is for Chuck, yes, all three. Yeah, he would be all three. And I know that there was a reference that Jeff and Lester are Mac fixers. Mm -hmm. It was the source of a joke, but we know that there's a Mac presence on the show we know that off-camera, we can tell you this, that Julia Ling likes Linux. Mm -hmm. And I think Zachary Levi is a PlayStation 3 user. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Can you get email on PS3? I have no idea. But we'll do some more research on that and hopefully let you know later on. And next up we have, I apologize in advance for how I pronounce this, Dulgun. And he or she writes, hey, you guys, I'm from Mongolia and I really enjoy Chuck. Your podcast is really great, very professionally done, and it's very informative, so I'd just like to say thank you. The first time I saw Chuck was on iTunes. The first episode of the second season, Chuck versus the First Date, was free, so I downloaded it, and I loved it. I watched it like three times in one day. The music is great, and the cast and everyone. The interviews are fantastic, and I really appreciate what you're doing for Chuck. I got some of my friends into Chuck as well, so that's pretty good. I've always wondered, who picks the songs for Chuck? And also, some of my friends say season one is better than season two. I must disagree. The relationship between Chuck and Sarah got a little messy in season two, with Jill coming back and stuff. But what are your thoughts? Anyway, keep up the good work. Dulgan. So to answer the first question, who picks the songs for Chuck? Well, if you um, go back to one of our very first podcasts, I think it was podcast number two, mm -hmm. back in January of 2008, we had the show's composer, Tim Jones, 
on, and he talked more at length about all of the music that goes into making Chuck. Of course, the original score is all him. He does, you know, he collaborates with um, Josh Schwartz and Chris Fedek on that. But as far as the the songs, the actual songs you hear from other artists, I, I think that's mostly Josh Schwartz. Chuck has one of the best music supervisors in the business. Alexandra Patsavas is one of the most well-known music supervisors in the business. She was on the OC, and she is now on Chuck. So uh, that's part of where the wonderful song selections come from. That's right. And you can actually watch an interview with her on NBC.com slash Chuck. She talks a little bit about what goes into choosing the songs for Chuck. Great question, though. Thanks, Dilgan. Part two of the question was season one better than season two. Boy, I, I can't <laughs> pick one over the other. I honestly have the opinion that season two is equally as strong as season one. I agree. It's kind of I like being, having to choose your favorite child, right, Liz? Right. Season two, I like how it has gone more in-depth in all the characters. I like season one for the comedy and the action that got us involved in Chuck to begin with. And I think they're equal. Yeah. As a matter of fact, season two is a logical progression from season one. But I wouldn't say that they've really changed the tone at all. It's, it's continuing almost as if it were part of the same season, I, I think. Yeah, I agree. That makes sense, though, considering the first season was only um, 13 episodes. Yeah, that is true. So. And next we hear from Chuckaholic. He says, or she says, great podcast, love the stuff. Just wanted to let you know that over on ZacharyLevi.com, there is a petition going on to help Chuck get a third season. I did want to comment about this. Um, great question, great topic to bring up. You know, TV was introduced has always been and will always be about advertising and in order for the programs to solicit advertisers they need to get ratings and ratings mean people watching and a petition is interesting it works in politics but i've never really seen it have a big impact on tv so my advice is that you get friends to watch chuck that you spread the word about Chuck. And that, that's going to be the way that we get a third season nailed. I, I just don't think it's going to be from a petition. I agree. It's the eyeballs. That's what they're after. Um, you know, it, obviously, it can't hurt to, to sign a petition. It takes a few seconds out of your day. That's great. But what's really going to help the show is for you to watch it live, for you to tell your friends and get them to watch it live. If you know a Nielsen family, someone with the, the Nielsen box, um, ask them if they will watch it to kind of help boost those numbers. And then don't underestimate the power of watching the episodes online at NBC.com or Hulu.com. The numbers are coming out for those. And Chuck is uh, one of NBC's top online shows. Um, I believe it's in the top five of their um, hour-long shows that are online. And, of course, you know, buy the DVDs, um, that DVD and Blu-ray. That mm-hmm. all makes noise with NBC. It's makes it's a lot louder than you know taking a few seconds to sign a petition. Yeah, and the comic books, any any way that you can actually put dollars behind it is going to help them even more. Exactly. That wraps up the listener emails and comments for this podcast. If you would like to send in a comment or a question for us to answer, you can email that to us at mail at chuckpodcast.com. Please do mention the city and country where you're emailing from. And if you'd like to send any photos to appear on the podcast, please do so as well. Just make sure you um, get permission from anyone who's in the photo with you. 
to appear in the podcast. And you can also leave an audio comment or question on my voicemail. And that number is 310-594-3755. We would be happy to hear from you and, and answer your questions. It's lovely to have a conversation with the Chuck fans. That's what this part of the podcast is all about. Yep. And also, please do leave comments on iTunes. You can leave comments and votes at Podcast Alley. And you can also comment at chuckpodcast.com. And also, always, always, always visit the forums at chucktv.net. There's great discussions there. Well, we are very privileged to have an interview with Phil Klemmer, and we're going to roll right into that now. This is Gray with Chuck versus the Podcast, and I'm here with Phil Klemmer, one of the writers from Chuck, and also of Veronica Mars. Uh, how are you doing, Phil? I'm good, thanks. So uh, you have been very busy the last few weeks. Yeah, we're shooting episode 19, and we just finished breaking 22 in the uh, in the room last night. Wow. So that's season two for you. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, we just broke for lunch, and we were rehearsing a, a Chevy Chase Scott Bakula standoff scene. Wow. So, you know, you don't want to rush something like that. you got to savor every moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty amazing. I, we just heard this week that they had been cast, and uh, yeah. that must be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's a little, like, awe-inspiring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was a big Quantum Leap fan myself. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just to be working with Fletch is like uh, <laughs> it's like the sum of my adolescent dreams come true. Yeah. Uh, minus uh, Kelly LeBrock. Well, we're going to go way back, and then we'll get back to Chuck in the end. Okay. Of course, it's always really interesting to people to hear about how people got started and even what led to them having their roles. And, and so you grew up in North Carolina? I grew up in Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley. So I was born in Chapel Hill, and my parents moved back there. But um, yeah, I spent most, most of my years in, uh, in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And, and yet you went to Stanford. What, what made you pick Stanford? I was really looking uh, to get pretty far away and that was sort of uh the best i could come up with but i was i was really into the idea of going to california and, and uh i still am i guess yeah yeah and and you were a classics major but what what did you want to do at that time i think i was looking to be uh, uh some sort of professor i uh i spent a semester in in rome and then i chickened out when I realized how much additional schooling it would require for, for that to happen mm-hmm. and how smart I would have to be. And I didn't really see it happening. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I sort of just came down to Hollywood with a, a couple friends of mine and we all just sort of bumbled around and tried to find jobs. The guy I came down here with actually wrote Iron Man last year. Oh, you're kidding. So I'm by far the, the least successful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't say you've done too badly. <laughs> Now, you you got a job at Propaganda Films. Uh-huh, yeah. That was the sort of hot place to be in the, the early to mid-'90s. There were just a bunch of really cool commercial and music video directors working there, like Spike Jones and Mark Romanek and Michel Gondry and all these people who subsequently went on to crazy film fame. But, yeah, that was my first job working in a, a story department and reading feature screenplays and, and doing you know, summaries and critiques. He must have read a lot of scripts in that time. I didn't log it exactly, but some of my friends got up into like two, 3,000 range. I, I don't think I cracked a 1,000. Wow. You definitely, you become 
a bit like barbaric about other people's writing just because you have to after you've read a certain number. And I think I stopped myself before I got there, just knowing that I'd never be able to sort of write my own stuff if if I had gotten my cr- critical skills too sharp. Mm-hmm. Be- because, you know, you, you have to be able to dismiss something a- as quickly as possible since you're being paid by the script. So you become very, very... Uh, just attuned to finding what's wrong with things. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a great chance to read an incredible amount of material, but just the numbers, you, you can only buy so many things and you're reading however many dozens or hundred screenplays a week as a story department. So mm-hmm. the numbers just say that you you have to say no to 99% of everything. And, wow. and maybe that's fair, but uh, still you're taking people's dreams and stomping on them. So wow. I, yeah. So, and, and you ended up actually doing some work with Michel Gondry. Yeah, I, I guess I worked for him for about three years. I've worked sort of between his most notable music videos and before his notable films. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a result of um, him working with me, but <laughs> he basically, anything that people know him for, uh, I wasn't with him at the time. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, we did a, actually, we did a Chemical Brothers video that uh, I have a, a brief cameo in, and uh, we did a Charlie Kaufman movie, Human Nature, which unfortunately didn't make much of a splash, but mm-hmm. yeah, those were my years with Michelle. After Michelle, I sort of moved into ghostwriting for directors and doing commercial and music video treatments, which are sort of the things that directors use to sell themselves to either ad agencies or, you know, music labels. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I supported myself before I, you know, got my first TV gig. And so it was around that time that you landed your first TV gig on yeah. on Veronica Mars. Can you tell the story about how you got that gig? Yeah, um, well, I had sort of known Rob Thomas as a fr- friend of a friend and then a friend um, based on his crazy Halloween parties. And mm-hmm. I had slipped him a feature that I had, had written. It was sort of a young adult coming-of-age story. And he had a, a show on ESPN do, that he was doing called Playmakers. Mm-hmm. And he read it, and I guess he liked it okay, but then he told me that it was completely inappropriate for an NFL sports show. Mm-hmm. And then a year or two later, I, I saw him at an Oscar party, and um, you know, he told me about he had a teen noir show that was set up at UPN, and he asked me if I'd ever written television, and I said no, and he basically gave me two weeks to get a, uh, a spec episode together, and my wife was pregnant at the time, so... I had plenty of motivation, so I think I did a, a six feet under, and I think he went on a on a honeymoon, or a, he went away with his girlfriend, and I guess took it with him, and, and I got an email from him, like in Turkey, saying like, oh, I really like it, and I'll show it to Warner Brothers, and I can't promise you anything, and, you know, he got me a job, which is, you know. Wow, awesome. Pretty incredible, yeah. And And you were there for all three seasons. I was, yeah. I was, what's that, 65 episodes. Wow. Great show, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you were... Uh, had shared with you in, in an email. I, I I thought I'd watch a couple episodes to prepare for this interview, and I'm already on season three. Oh, man. You probably, like, remember it better than I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, really, really good show. I like liked it a lot. Oh, thank you. And uh, I, I love that uh, episode at the end of season two, the graduation, where you hear all the writers' names. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, God, I forgot about all... Yeah, I basically put the name of every friend I ever had in Virginia. Like, if you... I basically, you know, got all my high school friends out somewhere in the season. Mm-hmm. It was a very unique show. You've got noir set in, in high school with yeah. mystery, intrigue, drama, and comedy. 
with yeah. a, with a very delicate tonal balance. Yeah, it, it sounded like a disaster when it was like pitched to me. I was like, "What? Are, what? What is this? What are you even talking about?" Yeah. And then you know, you read the pilot and completely understand it. Yeah. And it, what were your favorite aspects of that show to write? Well, I guess I sort of like the way that it was it was divided up into like a mystery of the week, and then uh, you know, having the Lily Kane murder say in season one, I really liked having that sort of sea story runner that um, was always going in the background. Mm -hmm. I I just think it opened up the world and sort of, I don't know, just the few pages that you devoted to it lent such a depth to, you know, A Stories of the Week could sometimes be rather light, but it it sort of gave it that noir-like substance and and creepiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I guess I really like that. You know, it also, there were some really fun characters. I mean, there was the Dick Casablanca's character who, I think he was basically like a stand-in in the, in the pilot. Yeah. And by the third season, he was in, in the opening titles. And you had time to sort of discover these characters and, and give them a line and give them a couple lines and give them a storyline. And, you know, he, it was just so fun having, you know, a character like Dick, who's sort of all the worst parts of, our collective uh, personality as a, as a writing uh, staff, yeah. and just being able to sort of just cut loose on a guy who's so um, abhorrent and, and lovable. Yeah, you got a little bit of that going on in Chuck as well? <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. I mean, when I read the Chuck pilot, the Morgan-Chuck relationship totally appealed to me. You know, you, ha- you have to read through this stack of, of 50 pilots when you're looking for a TV gig, and when you're on a CW show that is getting Veronica Mars numbers. You unfortunately have to do that every season. Mm-hmm. You know, the second I read Chuck, you know, the, the relationship between Chuck and Morgan, you know, is so juvenile and codependent and 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 funny and sort of it's something that I completely recognize and I just something that I hadn't really seen on television. Mm-hmm. It drew me in, and I mean, Chuck was you know my favorite of that stack of fifty pilots, and you know, so glad that I get to write for it. Yeah. Tell me how you ended up going from Veronica Mars to Chuck. Because Veronica Mars, you still hadn't even heard whether it was canceled or not. It really went out with a fizzle. I think it, was, it wasn't even until the upfronts that even then, I think it was, they were being very cagey about it coming back or not. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I'd got, gotten an offer from Chuck, which is you know, such a, a huge relief. But I, I think at the time I had to put some little claws in that if, you know, Veronica Mars came back that I would go with it just because they're both Warner Brothers shows. Mm-hmm. But um, I was incredibly fortunate. You, you look around television and you talk about the shows you would really enjoy writing on, and, and unfortunately there's not that many of them on, on network. And mm. to be able to go from a show like that to this is, is just so lucky. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not a copy of a copy of a copy. <laughs> Yeah. And interestingly enough, you wouldn't think so, but it's got a lot of similarities with Veronica Mars. You've got yeah. a very unique show that's got some mystery, got drama, yeah. it's got comedy, uh-huh. but more action for sure. Yeah. Then you've got these A, B, and C storylines mm-hmm. in Chuck. You've, you've got the main story, then you've got the buy more story, you've got the overarching yeah. story that goes across the whole season. Yeah. Would you say that a lot of your experience from Ver- Veronica Mars translates to Chuck? I'm certainly writing just my sort of base impulses as a writer I don't I don't have to like force them anyway with Chuck in a, in a way I think it's probably much closer than Veronica Mars was I mean 
for whatever reason, Rob Thomas, like the young adult and the female protagonist, it's just like it is his voice, like mm-hmm. inside inside and out. And yeah, I don't know. Chuck is a much more difficult show from a production standpoint, just because trying to marry action and comedy is the two most sort of time-consuming genres that you could ever think of producing. Mm-hmm. And to try to do both well and marry them with some sort of tonal harmony is just, from a production t- standpoint, it's incredibly difficult. From like a writing standpoint, it's just like, I couldn't be happier. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, we have a, a great studio and our crew is incredible. And, you know, I mean, there's a reason that I can't even think of action comedies, you know, I mean, you'd have to go back to A-Team or something to, to find a network show that kind of fits our mold. I don't even know mm-hmm. what the closest thing would be. And, you know, there's a reason. It's just really difficult, and it, it requires people like Zach and a lot of time and incredible amount of talent to, like, pull it off. Yeah. I love Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yeah. I love Battlestar Galactica. I, yeah, me too. I love Heroes, but I find when I'm watching those shows that I miss the comedy. Yeah, I imagine as a writer you must miss it as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can't I can't imagine doing one without the other. Yeah. And I think we're probably a little more children of the eighties. <laughs> exactly. Where we had our lethal weapon and die hard and all these Arnold Schwarzenegger movies where yeah. the comedy was just a part of it. Yeah. So tell me with Chuck has a much bigger budget. Uh-huh. How does that affect your writing decisions? Uh I don't know if I'd say much bigger. It's like notorious. B.I.G. said it's it's more money, more problems. Mm-hmm. It's I mean it seems like more money, but you know it certainly gets spent quickly doing the things we, we do week in and week out, and it it certainly doesn't seem decadent. We still have to come up with a lot of compromise and creative solutions, and and I mean that's really a credit to the people who on our crew who build the show. Mm-hmm. I mean to me it looks much more expensive than it is. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a fantastic DP and, you know, we've learned how to, like, produce the show within our means. I mean, I think we were probably killing people in the beginning mm-hmm. before you figure out wh- what you can do and what you can do well. And, yeah, I mean, it's also nice. You know, Veronica Mars shot out of town. It's just, it's so much different being on the same lot where your, your show is produced. Probably a lot more work for you. Yeah. I mean, we were sort of in this little bubble up in North Hollywood and we'd get phone calls and dailies, but we wouldn't have to deal with the sort of repercussions of what we put on the page. But, you know, now we're a quarter mile away from our stages. But um, it's nice knowing that you can go down there and see it being made. Mm-hmm. You're also taking more of a producing role on this show. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, the sort of hierarchy of writing titles. At a certain point, you get called a producer, whether you produce or not. But certainly the producers on on Chuck can claim their title. And especially when it's your episode, you know, you get to be involved in all aspects of production, you know, from casting to concept meetings to, you know, being on set and collaborating with the director. And and that's great. That's something that we didn't get to do on Veronica Mars just because of the being out of town. Yeah. So tell me, who is your favorite character to write for on Chuck? Um character i mean clearly writing for chuck it's you know like i said it's it's a protagonist who's much closer to my sort of baseline personality than veronica mars ever was mm-hmm. uh, having a, a geeky hero who gets to sort of live his dreams is like it's sort of my dream yeah you know uh, uh, doing chuck versus tom sawyer our our fifth episode this season and getting to take jeff who you know was kind of the one of the buy more guys who's more in the background and getting to elevate him to the star of the episode it was, i mean that was pretty awesome yeah because he was a guy that always sort of did well with the 
few lines that we gave him, but just allowing Scott to sort of step into the limelight and seeing what a great job he did, that, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. Would that be your favorite episode you've written so far, or do you have other favorite episodes or scenes that you've done? I got to pick the episode I'm we're working on now. I mean, I got to assume that's going to be the best, um, even mm-hmm. though we're just, just a few days into it. But yeah, I guess I don't really look back on it that much. Yeah. How does it feel to watch them when they air? I think the very first Veronica Mars, it really freaked me out because, you know, when you when you see a cut, you're seeing you're not seeing anything close to the the 41 minutes and however many seconds that airs, you're seeing mm-hmm. a, just a rough assembly without any of the sort of tweaking and audio and effects and, you know, and so like the first Veronica Mars I ever saw, I was just like, "Oh my god, this is a disaster and so you, you sort of learn to condition yourself to what you should should expect at, at various stages but mm-hmm. seeing something that's aired you know i'd actually i'd really like to go back and and watch something that hasn't aired for a number of seasons because if it's too fresh in your mind you're just sort of looking for what you missed mm-hmm. and you know i think at this point i've forgotten what we missed with veronica mars and could probably wholly enjoy it someday soon i hope to be able to do that with chuck and obviously i hope chuck goes for five seasons and i really feel like the show is just it's getting better and better and i really feel that the strike was i mean not a good thing for anybody Mm -hmm. but i think you know as a writing staff we really used the time wisely to take a step back and to figure out how we wanted to to relaunch the show yeah you're a fan of it. <laughs> I hope you agree. But uh, from a writing standpoint, I would think that the yeah. that the strike would be a good thing because you'd you'd have a chance to actually see all of the first season to fruition. Yeah. You just figured out what you're going to do in the in the finale episode, and episode twelve hasn't even aired this season. <laughs> yeah. So you you can't even really gauge fan reaction until a half a season later. Yeah. You're a little subjective from the inside, but I would say that I don't know many other shows that have had such a strong second season after a strong first season. Like just from a viewer's standpoint, I would say every single episode is is strong and all indications are that it's going to just keep on going that way, so. Yeah, I really I mean, it I have no choice but to be a cheerleader, but even if I didn't, like I really think that the the second half of the season even continues to to go up and you know i think that's a, a credit to the people i work with mm-hmm. and the ratings are creeping up <laughs> compared to everyone else they might be mm-hmm. uh, you know i don't think anybody's fully recovered from from the strike yeah but you know i really think that there's we have more audience out there they're just waiting to discover the show yeah we have this big 3d episode that comes after the super bowl and you know we're all hoping that that's going to be a chance for a lot of new viewers to come to the show well, I do think that there's a lot of people who watch outside of the Nielsen system. Yeah. And particularly for, for Chuck. I, I mean, mm-hmm. Chuck isn't the biggest show in terms of Nielsen ratings, but our podcast is actually the number one TV show podcast. Oh, man, don't say that. That makes me nervous. There's too many people listening. <laughs> I'd actually just gotten my head around to that this was just a conversation. But no, I got stage fright. I think that's an indication of, <laughs> of the target audience. I mean, the target audience is yeah. is plugged in. They're They're the kind of people who would watch differently than the way that Nielsen measures. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I made a, a Zoom joke in an episode, and, I, you know, I don't think you could make a Zoom joke and have it be received by an audience who uh, wasn't a little bit geeky. Yeah. And I, I do apologize for the Zoom joke because Microsoft is a fantastic sponsor, and we should call this a Zoomcast, maybe. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, back back to the story. It was said in a previous interview that you uh-huh. are a logician who's very good at continuity. Uh, I don't I don't know who said that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the quote somewhere, but um, <laughs> that that was obviously some uh, something that you uh, needed very much on Veronica Mars. But mm-hmm. are you involved with the longer plot arcs of Chuck, or or is this really Josh and Chris's domain? You know, I think everybody in the writing staff is. You know, I think in the very beginning. Josh and Chris asked me how you approach the sort of mythological, you know, murder mystery of Lily Kane in, in season one. But w- one of the great things about coming to work so early, you know, we started in March of this year, is that, you know, we didn't have to dive in with episode 201. We were able to take, you know, a couple of weeks to just figure out in broad strokes where we wanted to go with the season. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's just amazing once you map things out, you know, how much quicker it comes when you just have some sort of even a thumbnail structure for the series you know as we're all hoping to come back for season season three i think that's something that we'll do again mm-hmm. because it, you know it makes the individual episodes so much easier to break if you just you know where you're going in a sort of global sense mm-hmm. so i mean it's a bigger writing staff for sure uh-huh. and looking at at least at imdb uh-huh. people have come from a whole wide range of of shows i mean you've got yeah scott rosenbaum coming from the shield you've got uh-huh. Ali Adler with with a lot more comedy shows. Um, you're coming from Veronica Mars. Yeah. Um, would you say that that makes you come into the room with specialties, or or is one person a go-to person for comedy, another person a go-to person for action, or or are you all kind of just a melting pot? I don't know. As a viewer, does it seem like a consistent show, or do, I mean, does, because I mean, it seems like just by the sort of nature of the show, it's sort of like a pop amalgam. Mm-hmm. And and so it it really does lend itself like there's just any number of ways you can you can sort of choose your own genre for an episode and I, I you know I think as a disparate writing staff we all sort of love that you can you can put your fortes forward and mm-hmm. if I want to be a geek and write a geeky episode about you know a guy playing geeky video games you, you can do that and if you want to mm-hmm. have a hard boiled episode that you know that the, the show can it can just sort of morph into so many things and i guess that's what it, it just keeps the show exciting that if you want to try on something else you, you you know that you can always do that you guys are doing it well that was leading on to my next question but from a viewer standpoint you would swear that every episode was written by the same writer oh that's it's incredibly flattering and maybe that's just sort of a byproduct of having been stuffed into a room with each other for for a year and a half but being on a, on a writing staff is kind of a, a bizarre working environment just to be stuffed into a room for you know 10 hours a day with people who a year and a half ago were complete strangers and it's no small miracle when you can actually get along with those people and arrive at some sort of communal product in which everybody feels a bit of ownership and yeah it's pretty fantastic you can imagine all the ways it could go wrong but when it goes right it just it's pretty cool yeah now you've co-written a lot of scripts. You ri- uh-huh. wrote quite a few with John Enbaum and with yeah. other other co-writers as well. Yeah. And just looking at the credits of Chuck, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of co-writing going on. And is that true? I think co-writing is usually just done for expediency. When you know, when we had a small staff, it was sort of you just had to get scripts out quickly and get people back in the room and, and breaking story. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some shows that, you know, I, I guess heroes used to, or maybe they still do break up scripts by, you know, actual characters and have people writing, you know, individual storylines. But it, I think it's much more common for people to have their own episodes and 
the times we've done it on Chuck are, you know, the times where we just need to get caught up with production. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever you're doing, it's working. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a huge relief to, to make it to the end of a season and to have not succumbed to the beast that is production. You know, they're always breathing down your neck, and every stumble you have, you just count the days. And you know, once you're behind, you're always behind, and the material suffers, and the fact that we sort of, we've made it to the finish line is is is, is a huge relief. Mm-hmm. So who comes up with the original ideas for the episodes? Um, you know, I think in the two weeks that we sort of just brainstormed, we put together like we had a little pile of log lines that we wanted to, to, to come back to. And it, it's amazing how many of those became, you know, at least the kernels for the episodes, that the A stories that we did this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's nothing worse than just coming to the table and having no notion of what you want to do. You know, somebody had seen the, the King of Kong documentary over our strike slash hiatus. Mm-hmm. And just just having, you know, those three words, it's enough to sort of inspire a, a discussion about what we could do and what we'd like an episode to be. And I think something like four or five days later, we had broken the story for Chuck versus Tom Sawyer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it could have been three weeks of just staring at the walls yeah but just having like a tiny little foothold is really such a such an advantage that's great yeah so what what would you say a typical workday is for you Mm, well i think it changes as as the season goes along as a writer in the room working on somebody else's episode it's sort of you know arriving at 10 o'clock and arguing about lunch for uh anywhere from five minutes to two hours and uh Mm -hmm. You know, spending the next six to uh, eight hours in the room. And it's really interesting because, you know, a lot of room time is BS time and funny anecdote time and just riffing on things that have nothing to do with story or Chuck. But, you know. Charging your batteries. (laughs) Yeah. And then once in a while, you'll just happen upon some weird tangent that, you know, stokes the fire. And then you'll have days where you do nothing but work. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of have to be ready to come in the room and, you know, see where the day takes you. Yeah. You know, being with a, a bunch of people that you'd want to be stuck in a room with, like, even if it weren't your job, is is very, very helpful. Yeah. You still get time for tennis? I have time for tennis, but uh, my tennis partner is, uh, he's running his own show now. So, unfortunately, I've, uh, I'm taking a bit of a tennis hiatus. John's running a show? Yeah, he, um... He's got a show called Party Down that's going to be on Stars Network. Really? Really? Good for him. Yeah. It's a show that he and Rob Thomas and Paul Rudd and Dan Etheridge came up with like three or four years ago. And Mm -hmm. it just came out of nowhere, and he was able to go and write 10 episodes, and I think they're going to be shot within a month or something. So that's how quick uh, television works. That's great. Yeah. Now, just on the topic of Rob Thomas, I've uh-huh. I've heard that he's still keeping the vision alive for a Veronica Mars movie. Is that true? I've heard that. It's It's been written about online. There was a little pitch that he put together that's on the season three DVD. Oh, man. But I'd heard even just recently that the idea was revived again. Wow. I hope Kristen Bell's involved. She's going to be on Lost. Oh, is she? Uh, this season. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Oh, man, who's she going to be? No idea. Wow, that'd be cool. Yeah, I know he's uh, you know he's busy with Cupid now. and uh, I heard about a Veronica Mars comic book, but uh, a features, that's news to me. I mean, a video game, I could get behind that. Oh, yeah. It's funny, you know, writing Veronica Mars, you know, a teen 
girl show, all we did was play video games, and now I'm on a show about guys who play video games, and all we do is sit around and gossip like teenage girls. So, <laughs> <laughs> One of the things, especially breaking news this week about all the stars that are going to be... Yeah. I mean, we've got Chevy Chase, we've got Scott Bakula, we've got uh-huh. Dominic Monaghan. How does it change your writing process when you have kind of a higher profile guest star? Well, it's a little scary. Like, it's sort of nice when you've written a script and then you start talking names. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty intimidating to, to have to consider writing for Chevy Chase because you start thinking of every Chevy Chase thing you've ever watched and how your writing can never sort of live up to Fletch. But, um, you know, knowing the sort of type of people you're going to go for is, is helpful just because you know uh, how much screen time and, and sort of importance within the story you're going to you're going to give to those those roles mm-hmm. i mean the nightmare scenario would be if, if you write like a minor role and then you hear yeah we want to go out to kevin klein with this and then you have to go back <laughs> and sort of tweak, yeah. a, tweak a script but fortunately we we knew that the two guest roles for the episode that we're shooting now were going to be big so mm-hmm. cool and what are your other uh, favorite shows to watch right now um, I sort of went crazy for Mad Men, mm-hmm. and I watched season two and then season one. I sort of fell off with Battlestar. I just saw the uh, the premiere of Lost last night, which I'm pretty psyched about. Mm-hmm. I actually missed it. I was talking to Norman Buckley, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't know. What are you watching? Well, Chuck, of course. Yeah. Her- Heroes, Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Uh-huh. I love that new Life on Mars. I haven't seen that yet. I want to. I want to see that. And and the Mentalist is good too. I I'm, I don't generally go for the procedurals, but I think that's a really good one. Yeah. I got to do some fan questions. Yeah, of course. One fan question is: Will we see Harry Tang again? Uh, I mean, if we had our way, we totally would. You know, that was just a booking conflict. I guess his role on Dexter took him away from us. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I should say that that he was incredibly fun. And Tony, you know, Tony Hale, I love writing Tony Hale. I got to, you know, introduce him this season. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so nice having a a villain in the buy more. Oh, yeah. The show really sort of needed that niche filled. And I think it's great. Oh, he's great. Yeah. We've heard that Chuck might be doing some spy training. Everybody's asking about that. Spy training. I got to be coy about answering that one. Yeah. I guess I could say, in a way, yes. I hope that's en- enigmatic enough. <laughs> yeah, I know you have to be enigmatic with the spoilers. Josh Schwartz has teased that you guys are pulling out all the stops in the last half of the season, and, and in particular the uh, finale. Is there anything you can tell us about where things will be going? I'm such a dummy. I'll wind up giving something terrible away that'll ruin the season for everyone. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're certainly pulling out all the stops. I mean, we sort of broke episode 21, you know, the second to last, and we're just like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, it's like that. it feels like a finale. And, you know, <laughs> we still have another one to break. And when you want to keep a show on the air in this, like, weird time for television, unfortunately, you sort of have to push everything and everyone to an inch of breaking and the fact that our production has been able to keep up with our impossible expectations it's pretty tremendous yeah yeah well of course we all hope chuck is renewed for a third season but outside of that do you have any other future plans no you know you know we finished season two last night and i expect that uh we'll all be around the table on monday and and talking about season three is as if it's going to be there, you know? I think that's kind of all we can do. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's just what all I've got. Thank you so much again. Yeah, it was nice meeting you, and um, hope to stay in touch with you.
Great. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye bye. Right. Bye bye. And we're back. Well, that was super talking to Phil. He was so generous with his time and and uh, talking to you about what it's like to be a part of Chuck. Yeah, Phil, I, I have to say, he's just an all-around great guy. He gave a huge amount of time for the interview, and not only that, but he offered to keep in touch afterward. I mean, all in all, I've been really blown away by the creative people on Chuck. They've been very receptive to us, accommodating in their busy schedules, helping us to get in touch with other people, and also very kind in their correspondence. And I'd say this is not what you would call usual for a network show. Right. So we're going to close it out. We do have a lot of spoilers later on, but of course we always do a closing before the spoilers. Again, we want to remind everybody to vote at podcastalley.com and make sure that February 1st you vote again. That's right. And you can leave comments on iTunes. And don't forget to you can mail or call us with your questions or comments. And we would love to see your entries for the 3D contest as well. So we look forward to that. And do watch for us next week when we have part two of our writer series with Allie Adler. That's going to be pretty exciting. Yep. And we're going to roll into spoilers. Bye-bye. See ya. Thanks for listening. And we're back with a pile of spoilers. Liz, what have you got for us? First up, we were really excited to find out that Robert Picardo was going to be joining the show for at least one episode. Everybody knows him. He's a face that's, that shows up everywhere, most recently in the Stargate Atlantis series. Mm-hmm. He's going to be joining for at least one. He was quoted as saying, oh, Chuck, it's very interesting. They're doing a very big story arc about who created the Intersect which is this special supercomputer system stored in Chuck's brain. And I think I'm not speaking out of turn when I say I figure heavily into that story. There are lots of cool surprises and twists coming up. So I was personally, I was pretty excited to, to see when he, that he was joining the cast. Yeah, Me too. I was a fan of him on uh, Star Trek Voyager. And of course, Robert Duncan McNeil, who played Tom Paris on Voyager is one of the executive producers and a frequent director of Chuck. So it's really cool when that kind of, you know, Star Trek mind meld happens. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and he's great at playing comedy, so I'm sure that's going to help. Yes, he's he's a very dry wit. He's a lot of fun. And Liz and I actually saw him at Comic-Con on the Stargate Atlantis panel last summer and, you know, he's he's like that in real life too. So it sh- it should be a lot of fun to watch. Very cool. And I'm excited another Star Trek connection. Scott Bakula will appear in at least three episodes as Chuck and Ellie's dad. Josh Schwartz made these comments recently. Um, Chuck made a promise to his sister Ellie that he was going to find their dad in time for her wedding. And it's something that Chuck becomes consumed with pursuing during the second half of the season. But when he finds him, he's not necessarily a guy who wants to be found. He's living in a trailer. He's disheveled. He's paranoid. And he's claiming constantly that Ted Rourke, played by Chevy Chase who he used to work with, stole all his ideas from him. And Ted Rourke has now become this super successful software billionaire, and Chuck's dad has become an eccentric living in the shadows. Woo! Awesome. And speaking of Chevy Chase, yes, he will be appearing in a multi-episode arc. The Emmy Award-winning comedy legend Chevy Chase, best known for NBC Saturday Night Live and Caddyshack, well, guest star is an iconic computer genius who may be more than he appears on NBC's action comedy series, Chuck. 
In the action comedy, Chase will play Ted Rourke, as was mentioned before, who is the founder and great mind behind Rourke Instruments. Chuck has looked up to Rourke since he was a kid, and working at Rourke Instruments is his dream. But perhaps there's more to this company than just super cool computers, turtlenecks, and uber-positive employees. Yep, and uh, Phil talked about writing for uh, Chevy Chase, and he said that it was a lot of fun. I can't imagine that this wouldn't have just been a blast to work on these episodes. The forums just exploded when this casting news started. We, we first got Robert Picardo. I think that came out on a Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, we got Chevy Chase. And then on Thursday, we got Scott Bakula. And we were just going insane with not just all these fabulous actors who were coming to the show, but the storylines that they're going to be a part of. It's so exciting. And there's not a firm date on when these episodes are going to air, but most likely they'll be the last three of the season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, leading up to the season finale. So we'll, of course, have more information as those appear. But it also explains why we haven't been seeing a lot of spoilers and information from our normal sources. They really started cracking down on leaks and safeguarding information about what was coming up on the on the show here before Christmas. And we kind of wondered what that was about. We knew that there were a couple of websites that were posting information that shouldn't have been out there. And this is why, because they really wanted to protect this storyline. So now they can really control what information is leaking before it actually airs. It's going to be pretty exciting though. We also have some information from Josh Schwartz. Uh, This comes from EW.com. He was chatting with them about the season's final batch of episodes. And he says he's hesitant to use the words game changing, even though it's wholly appropriate. He says, everyone uses that term. Let's call it show changing or Chuck changing. Let's just say someone is going to start figuring out the truth in Chuck's world. And then Schwartz also added that he's cramming three seasons worth of stories into the next 10 episodes, in part because there's no guarantee the show will see a third season. And he says, we're leaving nothing on the table. We're taking nothing for granted. We're going for it. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) And to hear the writers talk about it, they really are throwing absolutely everything in. So it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Part and parcel with that is that Jill will be returning for the season finale, according to EW.com. Great. That's going to be another firestorm. In fact, it's already started on the checktv.net forums. (laughs) People are um, already pitching their dream scenario in which Jill returns. And I got to say, there are a lot of bullets involved. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Jill. She kind of brought it on herself. But speaking of complications in the Chuck and Sarah relationship... Zach was commenting to Kristen at E! Online. He says, uh, Chuck and Sarah are one step forward, two steps back. We still love each other. I want to be with her, and she secretly wants to be with me, I think. But it just makes for a not very protected Chuck because emotions get in the way. So it's on the back burner. So I think he's talking about the, you know, as we move into the the second half of this season, we're not really going to see such an emphasis on the Chuck and Sarah romantic relationship because from what it sounds like, He's going to have a lot of other issues to deal with. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll patiently wait to see how it plays out. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cecily in Portland, Oregon said, Since Sarah killed a man in front of Chuck, will the pair be okay when the show returns? And Chuck Chief Josh Schwartz tells her that Chuck still doesn't know Sarah was actually saving his life, adding that's a dynamic that obviously is going to be complicated. I would say so. And also from E-Online, this is in Kristen's spoiler chat, Morgan Girl in Rhode Island, wow, we know who she's written for, says, Chuck Scoop, 
So Josh Schwartz answers her with, there's a very sexy MI6 agent who comes in to help on a mission for a couple of episodes. He's played by Jonathan Cake. He's a real sort of badass Gerard Butler type who definitely catches Sarah's eye. There are a couple of things that are going to happen towards the end of the season that are sort of a point of no return for Sarah and Chuck. It could be a point of no return in a good way or a point of no return in a bad way. You'll have to stay tuned. Hmm. The big tease. That is a tease. Yeah. And we do have a couple of official synopses. One of them is for Chuck versus the Best Friend, which is now episode 213, which will be airing the week after the 3D episode. And the synopsis goes like this. Chuck helps a heartbroken Morgan spy on Anna. After he flashes on Anna's new boyfriend, Chuck, along with Sarah and Casey, is sent to discover his connection to a dangerous gang. Meanwhile, Jeff and Lester try to convince Ellie and Awesome to hire their band Jeffster for the wedding. <laughs> and there are more spoilers about this on ChuckTV.net. Oh, my gosh. Of course uh, he has a band. Of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jeff and Lester have a band. Yeah. Oh, poor Anna. Well, the episode following that, which will be entitled Chuck versus the Suburbs, episode 2.14, should air February 16th, right after Valentine's Day. Chuck and Sarah's latest assignment forces them to pose as a happily married couple living in the suburbs. They meet some interesting characters, including Brad, played by guest star Andy Richter, a cheerful next-door neighbor in the stationary business, and Sylvia, guest-starring Jenny McCarthy, a seductive and attractive woman who lives across the street and has her eye on Chuck. Meanwhile, Big Mike is on a work rampage after his wife files for divorce, so the Buy More gang sets him up on a date on a dating website. <laughs> to keep him distracted. Oh, oh dear. No. I knew I wouldn't be able to get through that with a straight face. <laughs> yeah. So there's lots of great stuff coming, and uh, we will give you more spoilers as we have them. But uh, that's all we have for this week. I want to thank you for listening. I want to give a shout-out to Vern and the boys, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.